This is Radio Romania International. You are listening to our one-hour broadcast in English for listeners in Western Europe and Africa. We can also be heard on the internet at www.ri.ro, Channel 1. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and other social media platforms. Our programs are also available on TuneIn, Radio Romania International 1, and in Europe via satellite Utilsat 16A on 11,512 MHz, vertical polarization, azimuth 16 degrees east. We wish you good reception conditions. I'm Mihaela Ignatescu with the news, the headlines. Starting May 1st, the Romanian government has established a new way of granting financial aid to Ukrainian refugees. On the May 1st mini-holiday, Romanians have chosen the mountain resorts on Prahova Valley and the seaside resorts. And CSM Bucharest takes on away from home the Danish team Esbjerg in the quarterfinals of the Champions League in women's handball. The Bucharest executive is changing the way of granting the financial support offered by the Romanian state to Ukrainian refugees. As of May 1st, the money will be allocated directly to the refugees and not to the families that host them, as has happened so far. The aid will be offered unconditionally for one month only. In the next three months, Ukrainian refugees will have to get a job and enroll their children in school or kindergarten. From the fifth month, they can benefit from the help of the Romanian state only if they find a job. Until May 11th, Romanian cereal producers can submit requests for financial support to make up for the losses suffered due to cheap cereal imports from neighboring Ukraine. The total amount is approximately 20 million euros, half from the European Union budget and the other from the Romanian state. On Saturday, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Kyiv said that the limitation of Ukrainian grain imports into the Union countries was definitely unacceptable, and that such restrictions would not be in accordance with the association agreement between Ukraine and the EU and with the principles and rules of the European single market. Previously, the European Commission announced that an agreement in principle had been reached to allow the resumption of the transit of Ukraine grain through Poland, Bulgaria, Hungary, Slovakia and Romania. In Bucharest, Prime Minister Nikolai Chuka has welcomed the agreement that provides for a new support package worth 100 million euros for the affected farmers and stressed that Romania's strictly European position was a correct and balanced one. For the current May 1st mini-holiday, Romanians have chosen, as usual, the mountain resorts on Prahova Valley and the seaside resorts. The seaside festivals have attracted tens of thousands of young people from the country and abroad, and the accommodation units have reported an occupancy rate of over 90%. About 400 festivals, concerts, fairs and sports activities are scheduled in Romania these days. The Ministry of Internal Affairs has announced that approximately 24,000 policemen, gendarmes and firefighters are on duty throughout the country to prevent and combat illegal acts to ensure the flow of road traffic as well as for the safe conduct of public events. 
Also, the border police has announced that all the necessary measures have been taken to ensure an effective control and reduce waiting times at the border, in particular the crossing point on the border with Hungary and Bulgaria. Today is the last day of the Leipzig Book Fair in Germany, where Romania is present with over 150 new titles, but also with numerous events. Famous writers such as Mircea Cartarescu, Gabriela Damesteanu and Ioana Porvulescu participated in the fair. According to the organizers, the 2023 edition has enjoyed great success, especially because it's been the first since 2019 because of the pandemic, and the public is particularly interested in getting back in touch with the world of books and their authors. About 2,500 exhibitors from over 40 countries presented their new editorial productions. This year, Austria was the guest of honour at the Leipzig Book Fair. Nurses in Great Britain are going on a one-day strike today following a disagreement with the government over wage increases. They are demanding 10% higher salaries, while the health minister has offered 5% and refuses to negotiate. According to the Radio Romania correspondent in London, the strike seriously affects the medical system, as for the first time the nurses who work in intensive care or in other wards where vulnerable patients are cared for are participating in the protest. In the following days, teachers will also go on strike demanding higher salaries. Other union protests will take place at the end of next week, when the coronation of King Charles III takes place. Traffic officers and those who ensure regular parking will be on strike during the coronation. And now news from sports, CSM Bucharest meets today, away from home, the Danish team Esbjerg in the quarterfinals of the Women's Handball Champions League. The return is scheduled for next Sunday in Bucharest. The two teams have met 10 times since 2017. CSM has won five games, Esbjerg three and two games ended in a draw. Also in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, CS Rapid Bucharest takes on, on home turf, the Norwegian team Vipers Kristiansand. The return match is scheduled for next Saturday in Norway. The Romanian national men's handball team plays this evening in Gümersbach in Germany against the team of Ukraine, the last match in Group 4 of the preliminaries of the European Men's Handball Championship EHF Euro 2024. And that was the news. This is Radio Romania International Broadcasting from Bucharest. Sunday Show. Sunday show. I'm your host, Elena Enake, keeping you company for the next minutes when I invite you to take a look back with me at the most interesting shows aired in the past week. Stay tuned. A very interesting feature entitled Romanian Tastes on Canadian Vlogs was brought to you by my colleague Ana Maria Popescu. Let's remember what was all about. Pakistan, Jakarta, Brazil are just some of the places visited and featured on the vlogs created by the two Canadian youths calling themselves the Jetlag Warriors. 
They visited Romania as well and produced a series of 90 videos recommending several unusual traditional recipes, as well as outstanding areas, including buildings of great historical value in our country. The Jetlag Warriors, the Canadian couple made up of Steve and Ivana, have traveled for several years, especially during the Canadian winter, so that they got the taste of traveling and decided to spend their life on the road indefinitely. They post information on low-budget travel, Airbnbs, street food and many others. In the series devoted to Romania, the tribe sour soup is not necessarily a surprise, but the clip recommending palinka or plum brandy with black pepper as a sickness cure is a lot more exciting. It is in Romania that the Canadians seem to have discovered this universal remedy which cures everything from a hangover to a sore throat. We talked about this tradition of old folk remedies in Romania and elsewhere with chef Relu Liciu, and we found out that hangover remedies are very different. These remedies vary from one region to another and around the world from one country to another. When I went to Germany, I found out they used bananas, given the lack of potassium in your body during a hangover. Usually, in 90% of the cases, people get a hangover because they mix drinks. And still, can Tsuika or Polenka be used as a sickness cure? Relulicu. Some use it as an appetizer to drink before the meal, while others regard it as a digestive to be had after a meal. A lot of nations, including Italy or Austria, use spirits as a digestive, but go to Transylvania, you'll never get ham and palinka at the end of a meal. This is what you start with. And it does have to do with the stomach. I remember I went to Serbia many years ago and I saw a bottle in a drugstore. The label read Stomachia and it was a local brandy with leaves of wormwood in it. Our guest also told us why some of the best-known Romanian sour soups, especially the giblets and the tripe soup, are seen as hangover cures. Just before a hangover, you get dehydrated and you desperately need liquids. But after that, you get really hungry and still you can't have anything solid. A tripe soup serves both purposes, and it's a meal in itself, you don't really need a second course after that. But if you ask me, the giblet soup is THE hangover cure. I first heard about it when I was seven. It was served at weddings after the party or the next day. You couldn't have a wedding without giblet soup. Do you remember which are the birds of the month of April in Romania? Daniel Bilz told you the whole story. Let's take a listen. The wheat year's small pieces were declared the birds of the month of April in Romania. Experts with the Romanian Ornithological Society 
a non-governmental, non-profit organization that carries out activities for the protection of birds and nature with the support of members of volunteers, made this decision taking into account the fact that in early spring, the wheat ears are birds that stand out with their trills. They usually sing from the top of rocks in sunny areas. 32 species of these birds have been identified in the world and they belong to the Oenathi genus, identical to that of the plants. The name is derived from the Greek words anos, which means wine, and anthos, which means flower, from the fragrance of the flower. And in the case of the birds, it refers to their return to Greece during the spring when the vines bloom. Five of the 32 species of wheat ears have been identified in Romania. Three species, the eastern wheat ear, the black wheat ear and the brown wheat ear nest. And two others, the Mediterranean wheat ear and the desert wheat ear, accidentally appear in Romania. Their plumage is grey, white and black, with shades of yellow and orange in the case of males. A characteristic feature is the black T-shaped pattern on the tail, visible in flight in all species. These birds prefer open areas with grass, rocks and small undergrowth. Characteristic of the group, as the popular name of the birds indicates, is that all species are related to areas with exposed stones. Preferences differ depending on the species, going from simple gravel to cobblestone, rock or even remains of human activities, such as concrete or rubble. They arrange their nest in cracks and cavities in the ground between stones and boulders or in stone walls and walls, but they can even use burrows of small rodents. The northern wheat ear is widespread in Romania, nesting from the plains to the mountain meadows, and the other two nesting species, the eastern wheat ear and the black wheat ear, are found only in the southeastern part of Romania. Wheat ears are bird species that are affected by habitat changes. The eastern wheat ear is dependent on steppe grasslands, so the expansion of agriculture by plowing the grasslands affects this species. Instead, the grey wheat ear adapts to habitat changes caused by human activities. Black wheat ears are dependent on rocky areas, which are often the target of stone quarrying. Economic activity causes these birds to leave but they return shortly after the exploitation ceases. You are listening to Radio Romania International. In her bi-monthly feature, People and Places, my colleague Mihaela Ignatescu talked about a new and interesting mentorship program entitled Accelerator, aimed to encourage young artists. Let's listen to an excerpt from the show. 
As you may know already, Romania boasts a rich cultural life, and especially in the past years, there have been programs meant to support young artists, including through mentorship programs. One such program is Accelerator, seeking to define a model for long-term cooperation with young artists, supporting them to turn their ideas into reality. The second stage of the Accelerator program is the exhibition Back to Where It All Began, hosted by the Gaep Gallery in Bucharest. The curator of the exhibition is Tevis Logar, who is also the guest of today's edition of People and Places. Stay tuned. Tevish Logar is currently working as an independent curator, editor and consultant who works with various galleries and institutions. He has curated or co-curated a number of group and solo exhibitions, has published monographic works and has been a screenwriter for documentaries such as Project Cancer, Yule's journal from November to November, and is also a co-founder of the Yule Foundation in Amsterdam. He has been involved in the Romanian Accelerator program, which, in his own words, act as a platform for sharing and discussing ideas, knowledge and professional experience. With this in mind, and without the constraints of a classical group exhibition, which would tend to illustrate a particular curatorial discourse, the presentation attempts to transcend meta-discourse, focusing instead on the new work produced by the ten participants, whose artistic positions reflect various ways of contending with our contemporary social environment. End of quote. The Back to Where It All Began exhibition features emerging artists Andre Arion, Flavio Cacovano, Roberta Curca, Lucia Chegu, Mihaela Hudra, Alina Ion, Maria Manda, Delia Prodan, Stanka Suare and Ana Maria Soloshi. But here is Tevis Logar himself briefly talking about the exhibition hosted by the Gaiab Gallery in Bucharest. The exhibition itself, it needs to be stressed that it reflects the the intentions of the accelerator program so for me it was let's say intriguing and important to collaborate in this project because it kind of found the niche where you know the program itself tries to establish a model of how to work with artists of younger generation in long term I think this is especially important because this is the point in their career where basically they need support, either in the in the context of production, promotion, distribution of the artwork, and this is something that I actually really cherished within within this program. And just for this sake, this I wanted to translate also to exhibition. So it is not classical group exhibition. Because there was already given context of 10 artists that participate in the program. We need to say that they are all very different. They have different interests. They are formally different. And that's why it didn't feel natural that uh, we would do a classical show that, you know, I, I prescribe a theme and then artists illustrate it. So that's why I actually wanted to, also through exhibition, I wanted to support what artists do. What are their interests in terms of, let's say, I don't know, themes or concepts, and of course also formally. But then, actually, the main idea of exhibition is the structure of the program itself. So I actually, in, in this sense, I referred to 
acclaimed curator and theoretician Victor Messiano, who in the 90s wrote a very important text, which is called Institutionalization of the Friendship, where he's talking about how these relations between people that are not formalized actually helped in the development of the infrastructure in the 90s. So, because, you know, the museums didn't have budgets, galleries didn't have budgets, so this kind of exchange between people, you know, people from Romania went to, you know, Croatia, or they went to Hungary, they did project there, then they moved them back to Romania. So this is something that I wanted to say as a, let's say, theoretical starting point of the exhibition. But of course, through the dialogue with the artists, I realized that each one of them, nevertheless, in a different way, they are kind of reflecting what is happening around us. We end Sunday's show with a special report on EU affairs brought to you by my colleague Vlad Palku. Against the backdrop of the ongoing war in Ukraine, Europe as a whole has been faced with unprecedented challenges threatening democracy, fundamental rights and the rule of law. The rise of disinformation and the far-right parties in a number of member states has once again highlighted the role of civil society as a watchdog in supporting good governance and increasing transparency. Restoring trust in the EU project was announced by Austria's Oliver Robke as one of the pillars of his mandate at the helm of the European Economic and Social Committee, the EESC. The committee convened this week in Brussels to choose its new leadership and elected Röpke as its 34th president to lead the body over the next two and a half years. In times like these, Oliver Röpke said in his inauguration speech, the ESC too is more necessary than ever. When we look around us, we see that freedom, democracy, human rights and the rule of law are under attack. Russia's brutal war of aggression against Ukraine the rise of authoritarianism and the decline of democratic rule, the ongoing efforts to destabilize entire nations and to spread disinformation, these are just some of the developments that demand our full attention and our action, Oliver Röpke went on to say. Under the motto, stand up for democracy, speak up for Europe, Oliver Röpke argues that the path to a more stable and peaceful future relies on shoring up democracy at home and abroad, and speaking up for Europe by making the ESC more representative and strengthening its outreach and its forward-looking activities. Attending the event in Brussels, Eugen Kojokariou spoke to European Ombudsman Emily O'Reilly, who hailed the change of guard at the helm of the ESC and outlined the ways her office can tackle the challenges triggered by the war in neighbouring Ukraine. Mrs. O'Reilly, thank you for the interview. My first question, which was your message today for the renewal ceremony? Well, first of all, I was to wish the incoming president uh, the very best of luck, top job. You know, civil society is incredibly important to the EU. I don't think the administration always gives it the, the respect and the inclusion that it deserves. And I think that was a very strong message coming from the president and others, that civil society really has to be given a much more direct voice in the life of the EU. You are the ombudsperson, let's say, of the European Union. Which are the main challenges for you for your mandate? Well, it's always making sure that the uh, EU does what it's supposed to do, to be accountable to the people, to work to the highest level of, of, of ethics, uh, to be transparent, to every now and then reread the treaty and remind themselves of the values that the EU has to live up to and to do that in everything it does. And my last question, we have a war since February last year in Ukraine. And which are your 
capacities to deal with this horrible war? Well, I think my, my capacities are obviously limited as European Ombudsman. I think where we do have a role sometimes if people are trying to access documents in relation to certain things that the EU administration is doing, vis-à-vis -vis that, that's, that's one particular role that we have, information. In turn, Maro Shevkovic, European Commission Vice President for Interinstitutional Relations and Foresight, referred to the change of leadership at the top of the ESC and to the introduction of a new EU-wide mechanism for the joint purchase of gas. Vice President, which was your message today for the renewal of the ESC membership and uh, leadership? I really wanted to send the best wishes on behalf of the European uh, Commission uh, to the new president, Oliver Repke. We know him as a very dedicated person, very economist European, and I know that he was working for the committee for the last 10 years, and therefore I'm sure that he will bring a lot of... Uh, innovation, a lot of new approaches as we have uh, heard from uh, his uh, manifesto. And I think in this time where our people are faced with uh, high energy prices, uh, with a high cost of living, of course the uncertainty because the war uh, made it back, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, to our continent, the direct uh, relationship with the civic society, with the social partners, I think is important for policymaking on the uh, European level, and therefore I believe that the committee will play this very important role under the new leadership. President, you have spoken about a brand new mechanism to buy gas together in Europe. Could you explain a little bit more? Yesterday, uh, indeed, for the, for the first time in the history of European Union, we started this process of the common purchase of, of gas. Uh, what it means is that yesterday we, we opened uh, the platform which we called Aggregate EU, where the companies uh, can uh, inform how much gas they would like to purchase through this common purchase of gas. This call is open until the 2nd of May. After that, uh, we would uh, assess all these demands and on the Europe Day, on the 9th of May, uh, we will for the first time in the history hit the global markets with this standard and we should get the results by the mid-June. And we will repeat these standards every two months until we would fulfill our targets of supplying at least 15% of the capacity of gas storages across Europe to make sure that first we would have enough gas for the next winter and second I hope with this new transparent uh, competitive mechanism. We also managed to push uh, the prices lower because we know that they are three, almost three times higher than before war and much higher than they are in the United States. Hopefully the new mechanism will get the job done, as the agenda of the ESC president's upcoming term also focuses on convincing EU lawmakers at driving forward their social agenda and safeguarding sustainable competitiveness as well as on boosting social inclusion and pushing for greater social and economic equality. Yet Oliver Röpke will not be alone in taking on these objectives. Joining him at the helm of the ESC will be Polish member Krzysztof Pater as Vice President for the Budget and Romanian member Aurel Laurentiu Ploscianu as Vice President for Communication. And that wraps up today's RI special programme Thank you all for joining me. Goodbye. Dear friends, that's been all from Sunday show today. I'm Elena Yanake. Until next time, it's goodbye.
Coming up next in the program... Romanian without tears. Welcome to a new edition in our Romanian Without Tears series. I'm Eugen Nasta. There once was a time when public libraries were extremely sought after in Romania. The main buildings playing host to such libraries were, in most of the cases, heritage buildings, epitome of lavish architectural style. One such institution that has renewed its purpose as of late, playing host to conferences and debates, is the Metropolitan Library in Bucharest. Its main building is located in the city centre, somewhere nearby the Romana Square. As usual, we begin with several useful words and phrases. Biblioteca Publica, public library. Biblioteca Metropolitana București, the Bucharest Metropolitan Library. Rețeaua de Biblioteci Publice, the public library's network. Împrumuta, borrow. Gratuit, free of charge. Permis de Bibliotecă, library permit. Filială, branch. Now let us use some of the words and phrases above in meaningful patterns. Biblioteca Metropolitana București este o rețea de biblioteci publice din București. The Metropolitan Library in Bucharest is Bucharest's public libraries network. Cititorii pot împrumuta peste un milion de cărți, filme și albume muzicale. Readers can borrow more than one million books, films and musical albums. Cititorii pot împrumuta toate acestea în mod gratuit pe baza unui permis de bibliotecă. Readers can borrow all that free of charge based on a library permit. Biblioteca Metropolitana are 29 de filiale deschise publicului larg în toate cele șase sectoare ale Bucureștiului. The Metropolitan Library has 29 branches open to the lay public in all of Bucharest's six sectors. That's all we have time for in this week's Romanian Without Tears. Thank you all for the interest you take in Romanian culture and for being so keen on learning Romanian with us. Goodbye. La revedere. Focus on Romania. You are listening to Radio Romania International. Next up in this broadcast, it's All That Jazz with me, Lucamera Simeon. On April 30th, we'll mark the International Jazz Day. So today we'll bring to your attention some of the greatest Romanian jazz musicians and invite you to listen to songs from a collection album called Panoramic Jazz Rock, which was issued first almost 40 and a half years ago. The album was reissued on CD, thus including three more pieces by a valuable jazz quintet from Bucharest called All Stars from the early 1970s. They were a very active band, but unfortunately they did not have an album of their own. 
So the true founders of modern jazz in Romania, saxophonists Dan Mondrila and Stefan Berinde, double bassist Johnny Raducanu and Bogdan Cavadia, drummer Eugen Gondi and pianist Marius Pop, all gave the real measure of their gift for jazz and spontaneous inventiveness, materialized through excellent improvisations in the three folk songs If I Were Up the Hill in the Vineyard, Girl from Banat and Carol. Let's listen first to the song entitled If I Were Up the Hill in the Vineyard. Thank you. 
In the end of all that jazz today, listen to another song called Girl from Banat from the aforementioned album, which is also an aesthetic embodiment of the ethno-jazz type, in which the double bassist at the time was the one who was the legendary improviser Johnny Roducanu, a composer, double bass player and pianist.
Living Romania. Coming up next on Radio Romania International. In the spotlight. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Vlad Paluku and today's topic in the spotlight is resilience, something which is not sufficiently discussed in the present context. We've been already through over one year of war, the consequences of which are very painfully visible in the lives of citizens, not just in neighboring countries such as Romania, but everywhere else. Steep increases in prices for commodities and services have left many of us wondering when this will stop. But as all eyes are pinned on the developments in Ukraine, the main issue for many is coping with the outcomes of the war, and it is here that resilience plays a key role. But what is resilience more specifically? It's not just a simple dictionary definition of being able to recover from a particular mishap. It's democratic resilience, in particular, the ability of communities to avert democratic breakdowns in the face of rising autocratic tendencies that we're interested in. And while it is impossible for the time being to turn back the time and live our lives business as usual, it is possible, however, to look at ways of adapting to the new context and fighting propaganda. This was one of the topics of a Resilience Talks debate hosted by the Euro-Atlantic Resilience Center in Bucharest, where Sweden's ambassador in Romania, Therese Uden, argued that the higher society's trust in the government and the country's leaders the higher its resilience. I believe Sweden is still the society, the country that where the citizens have the highest trust in their institutions, in the government, in the parliament, and in other government functions. Vice versa, the public institutions also trust the citizens. And I think there, perhaps, what we saw happening in Sweden during the COVID pandemic was also a reflection of that sort of mutual trust because we never had a lockdown but people did take certain measures as they were recommended to do so just as a small example perhaps of how that sort of both resilience and that trust worked in in practice the question is of course where does that trust come you don't just snap your fingers and you have it it is for sure something that we have had because it's been measured It has been measured by some institutes over time, and we've had this with very little variations for a number of decades. Ultimately, it will, of course, come from the fact that to earn the trust, you need to get something for it. So, of course, in Sweden, we do have a social security system. We pay our taxes, but we get something for it. People in Sweden seem to be sufficiently pleased with what they are getting from the state. And that's, of course, how you manage to maintain this social contract, because the trust is really what keeps our social contract together. It is, of course, never something to take for granted. And I think this is the challenge we are seeing today in in my country also. Uh, We do have issues of uh, segregated communities, so we need to take this discussion and we need to work harder on this. To build this trust is also, of course, to teach kids in school a couple of things, such as, for instance, how to be resilient, how to work against disinformation, how to detect disinformation. 
it's it's not a, a course in itself, but it is the mere methodological way of teaching in Sweden, which is based very much on the questions and answers, the right to sort of question something, the possibility to debate, question your teacher, to try uh, trial and error basically, and ultimately teamwork. In turn, Juana Popescu Zanfir, the director of Global Focus, a think tank dealing with democratic resilience, transition and reform, argues that, more often than not, resilience develops from societal distrust in the authorities, which, she warns, could have a negative side as well. I think, strangely enough, the resilience in our region, including Romania, actually stems from the healthy distrust of government. We have completely different circumstances than the Scandinavian countries. Romania ranked first, I think, in the EU in terms of um, lack of confidence in both state institutions and in one another, which is an actual problem when it comes to building societal resilience. But what we do have from our experience of communism and dictatorship and so on and so forth is something that is conducive to both democracy and resilience, namely we never take anything that any government does for granted. We never really buy what we are being sold by the political class. On the one hand, that can be healthy and it can be a good reservoir to start building resilience from. On the other hand, it can be destructive and I'm afraid it is at this point and it provides ample room for radical anti-establishment forces to grow while we mistrust the government, at the same time, we have a legacy and we have a pretty disturbing basis of autocratic tendencies. We tend to like strong men, we like strong figures. So it's a mix that we haven't negotiated with after communism, not yet, not enough. It's really high time and I think we're going to see this next year when we have elections throughout Europe and the region. We are going to see the very dangerous progress of far-right radical forces. Hopefully this is going to be a trigger for the region to look at its democratic mechanisms and to look at societal resilience and ask the fundamental question, well, how have we lost the citizens? How come they don't want to participate in the democratic process anymore? How come that we have high levels of civic participation but not political participation and not elections turnout, for instance. And how can we regain the trust of citizens? Because indeed, I'm afraid that is true. Uh, it's healthy to question everything, including your government. But when the trust, the bond of trust is completely broken, there is very little that can be built on that sort of basis. In Nordic countries, resilience is also a natural outgrowth of educational program trying to instill in people democratic values at a very early age. So, what is the situation in Romania? How do we offset the absence of curricula focusing on the benefits of participative democracy so as to be properly equipped to deal with threats such as disinformation, for instance? For too long now, it has not been built on critical thinking it has not been built on a healthy relationship that puts the child and the child's interests at the core of the education process. It is hierarchical, maybe not a school in anti-democratic tendencies, 
but it definitely doesn't teach children how to relate to authority, how to question it from a position of mutual respect, what to expect to be given, how to expect to be the beneficiaries of the system. I think that very much reflects our behavior as citizens later on. I think there is a lot to build on, precisely because Romanian society has had to develop often despite government, rather than thanks to government policies. So we have the resilience that comes with self-reliance, with the fact that we have had to cater for ourselves. But there is so much polarization at this point, and people are so vulnerable to disinformation, to political radicalization and so on, that we really need a deliberate drive to try and find again what are the values that we share, what's the common base that we share and that we want to grow on. What kind of society is Romania supposed to be in the future? So hopefully we will acknowledge that we need to relearn to build democratic consensus by clearly rejecting the anti-democratic messages and forces and learning to discuss across the board despite our differences. And that is clearly not an easy job, least so for Romania in the current context, where far-right rhetoric is gaining ground much like elsewhere in Europe and society has grown increasingly polarized, questioning the political legitimacy and democratic commitments of parties on both sides of the political spectrum. And with that, it's time to wrap today's edition. Thanks for joining me in the spotlight today. For now, it is goodbye. Focus on Romania. Coming up next on Radio Romania International. Simply Folk. Welcome to Simply Folk with me, Lacravera Simeon. Today's program features Jon Paladi, an artist from the Republic of Moldova. He will be performing the song Green Leaves. Mai băieți, băiețele, cu părul 
sinele și cu ochii ca mergele Din la maica și mai cer, mai cătea pe neierea Din nou, din nou și mă ia și mă duc la casa ta Și mă familia sa ta trai, lai, 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 lai And with that, our broadcast in English for listeners in Western Europe and Africa has come to an end. You can listen to our next program for Western Europe at 17 UTC on 13,750 kHz in the DRM system and on 15,180 kHz in analog system. Listeners in Africa can receive our programs, tomorrow, at 11 UTC on 15,320 and 17,670 kHz. We can also be heard on the internet at www.rri.ro, channel 1. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write an email at engl at rri.ro. Goodbye.